Well, welcome to Grace and Peace Church. Glad you're joining us this week again. We're going to be in 1 Peter. We're journeying through this letter. And I uh, just invite you to break out a Bible if you have one. If you don't, uh, there's a version app you can open on your phone and search through and find 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. Um, just want to remind you, Sundays we gather here. If you want to check the website for the time, uh, it might be changing eventually, so I don't know when you're watching this, but um, check the website for that. And we meet here on the grass. And just as an announcement for those of you that are tracking with us, uh, next week we're going to be moving to indoor gatherings. Uh, we have spaced out um, chairs and tables and enough ventilation there with windows open and enough space there for uh, different family groups to gather um, safely and uh, it'll just create a, a better environment for us to worship and less set up and breakdown um, and just uh, a, a great space for us to worship together and um, also want to just encourage you if you're watching this on YouTube uh, we just ask that you would just write a comment below just letting us know where you're watching from if you're not part of our immediate community here in South Oceanside um, and just let us know who you are and that you're journeying with us it just lets us know that what we're doing is making a difference and has value to you as the viewer so uh, thank you for journeying with us let's dive right into this first Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through the end of verse 25. So here we go. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So if that's throwing you off right now and you feel like that's crazy, I don't know how I'm going to do that. This is what we're going to talk about, all right? So stick with me. So verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. This is all for you. It's all for us. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So I recognize that's a big chunk of scripture that has a lot packed into it. But let's take some time and, and pull it apart. That's what we do here as we come together to study. So first thing he does is, and what he does throughout that passage is 
a call to the hearers. He, this is Peter writing to a group of believers scattered all throughout um, the, the known world at that time, right? So that are, um, that are reading this and that are being persecuted and that are challenged for their faith and wrestling through what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. And, um, and so he says, be holy. And so this call to be holy, you might be hearing going, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. That's difficult. That's for people like Mother Teresa. That seems impossible to even attempt. So if in my mind I already know that that's impossible to attempt, why would I even try, right? Um, hopefully through this discussion, through this teaching, uh, we can unpack that a little bit more. And I hope that, that it spurs on a discussion of what holiness looks like for us. Uh, so let's dive into it. Let's pull it apart. So first of all, this reference to be holy as God is holy is a reference going back to the Old Testament. It goes into Leviticus. Um, I'm going to read a couple of these passages real quick so you can see them and get an idea for the context of where it comes from. He says, for in Leviticus 11.45, he says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord who set you free to be your God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. The connection between being set free and what God does, his active pursuing love towards us, what he calls us to is this invitation to then be in relationship, this holiness, okay? So let's, let's look at another passage here. It's Levit Leviticus, the very next verse, Leviticus 11.44. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And this is in the midst of a bunch of passages where he's describing how to live out this life, that there's certain things that you're going you're gonna, to uh, refrain from being a part of. You're going to be set apart for the purpose of being different than the culture that's around you for the sake of demonstrating the goodness of God, right? Okay, so that's one of the very first things we see is God just saying, my people, I'm going to set them apart. I'm going to teach you a way of life that's different than the culture. But I'm not doing that just to torture you, to make life difficult. I'm doing this to give you a life that will be different than the culture that will be contrasting to the world that you live in, in a good way. Okay, so we're going to unpack that a little bit more here. But uh, he says, for I am the Lord your God, sanctify yourselves, therefore be holy as I am holy. Speak to all the congregations of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I am for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is called to reflect God's holiness, that we are invited into the life that God has created and the way that he's created and ordered things to be. Jesus also echoes the same command, the same teaching. Uh, he uses the word perfect. Um, and, and so he says in Matthew 5, this is on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Again, going back to this idea of being separate, unique from the world that we're in. Even pagans do that, he says. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, so he's echoing the same sentiment that God does in the Old Testament of perfection, of holiness, of being set apart, something unique about how you live. And Jesus really simplifies it there and he says, your life 
the way that you love people, the way that you treat people is going to be unique, that you're going to love people that even, uh, he says, tax collectors and, and pagans, people that, um, that could care less about who God is. Um, if you're going to love those people that are difficult to love, you're doing something so different, so countercultural, so punk rock that it'll demand a question of like, why do you do this? Right? And he says, even a tax leader, even other people will love people that love them. That's easy. But what he calls us to is this next level kind of love that says, I'm going to love people that are difficult to love. That's the, like the revolutionary teaching that Jesus brings. And it's not that he brings it fresh and new. It's that he's, it's like this continuation of what God's been doing. And Jesus is now just the flesh and blood tangible version of that. So, um, it, we see it also in James. We did a series uh, a couple months ago, which was in the last year, talking about uh, just going through the letter of James. And in James 1.4, it says, So let it grow, talking about your faith, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That there's something complete, there's something pure, something beautiful about when we live holy, when we live the way that God's called us to live. And this is that we won't need anything else because we'll be so satisfied in the way that we're living and in the way that we view ourselves and the way we view others, that there's just this, this copacetic way of living, that it's the way we are designed to live. This concept of holiness and being made perfect, set apart, um, it's all throughout scripture. Um, and so I just want to ask this question, how do we then become holy? This might be the question that you wrestle with. So you're like, okay, so I see it in scripture. I see Jesus call us to it. How do we become holy? How do we live into this? How do we become holy? And what we see is a process of having our character shaped by God's standard to then no longer live by the world standard. The world standard says, watch out for number one. Let me just take care of me. What we see in God's standard is your, your character is going to be shaped in such a way that then not only brings life to you, that is a benefit, but it's also going to bring life to people around you for the community, that it's a, a benefit for the whole, that there's a process of bringing God's heart, his, his, uh, his ways, to all of creation. Um, scripture talks about um, that the life of Christ, that we're invited into this new creation and that we're now get, we now get to be participants in what it means to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth. That we get to be participants in bringing this new life to everyone around us. And so there's this process. And I think sometimes our theology gets in the way of understanding the process and how that works. And so what do I mean by that? Um, when we think of the, there's some terms that maybe you've grown up hearing, like God being omniscient, um, omnipresent, um, all these different theological terms. Um, but one of the, the things that I see in this idea of thinking that God is all-knowing of all situations all the time, um, and, and putting that on Jesus, that Jesus was all-knowing all the time. Um, I think 
makes us think that somehow we're going to be zapped with this holiness and that there isn't a process. What we see in Jesus is there's a process of him learning and becoming holy. Um, We see in the Gospels, Jesus at one point is missing. His parents are looking for him is when he's, it says around age 12. And they can't find him. They're freaking out. And then they find him in the synagogue sitting with the, the leaders of that time, the religious leaders. And it says that he's sitting with them, listening and asking questions. And so what we see there is process. We see a process of Jesus modeling for us, even, even though he's God, flesh and blood, he models for us a process of becoming holy, a process of learning that with our physical bodies, our minds, our heart, our soul, all of that is being shaped and molded. And it's not just being zapped into this faith, that there's a process of learning that then we appreciate the relationship because we're not being forced to do anything. We're invited. We're invited into this beautiful relationship. And what we see here is Jesus learning that he's not omniscient from day one, that he doesn't know everything, that he doesn't have all of it figured out, that there's a process. There's a process of him sitting with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that those three are working together to shape and mold what we see as holiness and what we see as a life that when we look at Jesus, we go, that is perfect. And so what he modeled for us is this perfect way of living, which brings us to Peter. Peter, who is the author of this letter, failed miserably. We've, we talked about that last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it as we go through this series. We're looking at the life of Peter, who's made tons of mistakes. He was at one point called Satan by Jesus, right? So like, there's something about Peter that's like done really great things, but also has, he's just failed horribly. And what we see is Peter didn't go from fisherman to saint overnight. We see a process again, just like Jesus, a process of learning, listening, asking questions, failing miserably, right? But then what we see is Peter writing basically these letters that we look and go, he, he's discovered really what this life is like, what the true life in Christ looks like. Um, but originally he was the guy who wrote the book on failure, right? Um, and, and learned probably more than any other disciple because of all of his failures. And maybe you've heard the phrase fail fast. It's kind of like a, a trendy thing right now that this idea that you learn how to just move forward, fail and learn from those mistakes. And then the really trendy word right now is pivot, learning how to pivot. Um, Whether you're an organization, you're a business, even as an individual, we got to learn to like see our mistakes, observe, process, learn what we need to remove, what we need to take out and what we need to move into and learn. And it's called pivoting. It's constantly pivoting towards the good thing, right? Um, And so trendy word of the day, if, if you're not familiar with that, it's a good thing. But what we see is, God is the creator of the pivot. He, he was the one who initiated this idea that 
when you fail, you get to pivot and you get to pivot into something better. And what Jesus did continually and what he ultimately models for us in the best possible way is that Jesus knew how to sit and listen to the Father and be one with the Father, that we don't see mistake after mistake, that he learned how to quickly pivot and understand that like him and the Father are going to be one and he only listens to the Father. Peter did the same thing. Peter continually processed towards this holiness. So, the truth about really, I think, learning to build character um, can sometimes get hijacked by cheesy self-help books. Um, but this is how God made us. Um, that he's, he's created us to learn how to pivot into what it means to follow him in all of life. Um, because every day we have a choice. Are we going to be obedient or are we going to do our own thing? And so Peter, again, um, let's, let's look at his life a little further. Uh, there's an illustration of how he took a moment and improved, learned, and became closer to Christ, closer to the kind of character that Christ longs to, uh, for us to be in um, as a result of it. And so um, Isaiah, Leviticus, those would have been all familiar to Peter um, as a Jewish fisherman. And so a story where he as a fisherman and Jesus interact uh, that I want to look at is in Matthew chapter 14. I want to read these few verses and then we'll unpack it. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So Peter in this story, first of all, wants to be like his rabbi, like his teacher. He wants to be like Jesus. And so he says, tell me to come out there. Like, I want to do what you do. I want to learn from you. And first off, that I feel like that is a posture of a student, of someone who wants to continue to learn, even though he fails, right? So he has this moment where he walks out and he's actually walking on water with Jesus but then takes his eyes off of Jesus, begins to see the wind and the waves and the chaos and everything that's going on and starts to sink and freaks out and panics. And what we learn from this is that Jesus doesn't just go, ah, you're such a failure. Like what's wrong with you? Get back in the boat. You're done. Like I've given up on you. No, Jesus reaches out his hand and says, you have little faith. He recognizes that he'd like taken his eyes off of Jesus and his faith was turned towards the failure, and instead of staying on the hope and the, the focus of Jesus, and then he started to sink. But what Jesus does is he reinstates him there in that moment and says, like, stay focused, um, essentially. He said, why did you doubt? Why would you doubt the fact that I'm here with you and that you can do these miraculous things? 
And so Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Um, our eyes often wander, right? Our eyes often wander from Jesus and we, we begin to look at other things that distract us. We begin to look at things that are maybe uh, scary in life, challenging. Uh, we look at things that we have no answer for and have no way of solving. And we take our eyes off of Jesus and we focus on those things. And our focus gets so caught up in our scenario and our situation and our failures and the, the things that we can't control that then we start to sink. And our faith becomes this thing that's meaningless. Our faith becomes this thing that we go, I'm defeated. There's no way I can be holy, going back to the initial question. There's no way that I can do this thing that Jesus, this miraculous thing that Jesus calls me to do. But the only reason that we believe that is because we've bought into what the world tells us. We've bought into the fact that our culture is shaping us and not Jesus. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we begin to center our life around him, his teachings, his ways, we can do things that we don't think are possible. And what we see Peter learn here in this moment is that he needs to stay focused. I have two kids and when they watch TV, there is an intense focus. I don't know if you've ever watched kids when they watch TV or try to get their attention when they are watching TV. Um, there's moments where they're sitting on the couch watching TV and I'm like, Hey guys, dinner's ready. And they're like, they don't hear a single thing I'm saying. I might as well be, you know, the Charlie Brown teacher. Just, wah, 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 wah. I don't even know if they hear that, but their eyes are so fixed and glued and focused on T on the TV and whatever they're watching that nothing else matters. And I, I like that analogy because I think that I don't like the fact that they don't listen when I'm talking to them. I have to like turn the TV off in order to get their attention. But I like the analogy that they're so focused, so laser focused on what's happening in front of them that nothing else matters. And I believe that as Christ followers, that's the invitation that Jesus gives us. That Peter needed that laser focus on Jesus in order to do the miraculous thing. And I believe that when we talk about holiness and the challenge of living a holy life, that we go like, that's only for people like Mother Teresa. I believe that the only way that that's possible is when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That intense laser focus on just who Jesus is and the thing that he's inviting us into and the call and that relationship that he's inviting us into. So how do we begin to live out this holiness? I think it's keeping our eyes fixed on him. Peter understood that as he's writing this letter uh, many years later from this moment where he had with Jesus walking on water. Um, he understood that that intensity, that focus needed to exist. And that's what we see in this passage is this reminder that we are called to keep our focus on him. And essentially that's what verses 17 through 21 are saying. And ultimately it says there in 18, it says we turn from the empty way of life to be set free. The empty way that he talks about there is that old way of life that is just doesn't have meaning that you're focused on the waves, you're focused on the issues rather than being completely caught up and centered in Jesus and the way that he wants to teach us how to navigate the storms of our life. And then it says, and it's for your sake. 
that all of this has taken place. It's for your sake that Jesus came and shed his blood. It's for your sake that he came to have this relationship with you, um, that you might thrive. And not only that you might thrive, but then you will help others thrive as well in this life of challenges. Be holy is an invitation to a new way to live. It's difficult at times, but it's worth it. And I want to read this quote that I believe will help guide this conversation. It's by G.K. Chesterton. He's a writer, a philosopher, and what I love most is he's like a lay theologian. The guy just was brilliant um, in the 19th century. And um, he says, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. So let me read that last part again. It has been found difficult and left untried. So the difficulty at times keeps us from encountering more of this relationship with God is what I believe. And I think that's what Chesterton is pointing to is that when it gets difficult, we back out of our faith. So in Peter's situation, he saw the storm, the wind, the waves, the challenges, the difficulty, and kept his eyes on there and began to sink. I believe that what we do as Christians at times um, is that we see all that and we focus on that and then we say the Christian life isn't working. It's too difficult. It's challenging. But what he says is it becomes left untried. And I would challenge us to step into it and try begin to live into it and begin to fix our eyes on Jesus in a way that says, I want to experience this thing that, that he's inviting us into this life to the full. And I believe that right now, uh, the season we live in this last year has been a challenge. Um, as many of you know, um, and have experienced and we've been talking about is that quarantine has, it's been taxing to be honest. Um, to be truly honest, it's, it's challenging in a variety of ways because you might be sitting here saying, well, life's good for me. I got, you know, my stimulus checks and my job has been nothing but up and to the right. Like we've just, our company's been growing or whatever it is. Um, but some of you have been saying, no, it's been challenging. I lost my job. I've lost family members. Um, the, the career that I was once in had to shift into something else. Um, maybe you're jobless right now. There's, there's two different kinds of stressors that are happening. Um, and I recently just uh, read this email this last week. Um, that it was just an interesting thing to reflect on. And it was, a, it was commenting on the climate of the church currently. And it said, recently, uh, Dr. Stan Reeder, who's a leader within the Nazarene Church, said, reference research revealing 29% of pastors want to quit. Reader added that clergy suffered extended periods of exhaustion not having any energy, not knowing what to do, which would be the competence side of it, and discouragement, so lack of confidence. And man, what an honest look at where we're at, that the amount of exhausted, discouraged, and not knowing what to do people in our world um, is, uh, is very evident. And it's all around us. And I've, I've had seasons of that. I've had maybe weeks of that where it's been challenging. Um, and uh, what I would say is that change isn't easy. The, 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 the last year that we've faced hasn't been simple. The, the big changes from the status quo that we once used to be used to um, 
has changed. It's just been difficult. And uh, I had a counselor once tell me that, uh, I think it was like right as I was getting married, that uh, there can be good things that are stressful. So uh, I was just facing some challenges and some, some like, uh, I think anxiety in life and there was just a lot of changes. They were all good things like it was moving I was getting married and there was just Those are good. I, I was like why why would these things be considered stressful? But even any kind of change can be stressful And so if you're experiencing all the great things right now and you're saying yeah, things are great um but maybe as a result of all this greatness, you're super busy and you're ex you're having to work extra hard as a result of everything that's going on. Um, I know that some people like in our church have mentioned that their businesses have just grown like crazy. Um, games have gone through the roof. And so somebody I know, um, their company has just been thriving as a result of the pandemic. And so they're, as a result, they're just really busy. And so, uh, there's the good side of it, but also the challenging side of it, right? Um, so stress comes from all different directions. It's not, none of us are exempt, I don't think. Um, maybe your, the, the parenthood that you were used to prior to the pandemic looks different than it does now. Um, maybe with education, homeschooling, kids, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's just, stress comes from all different directions and it could be good as well as bad. Um, however you want to label that, but how we begin to view holiness, I believe shapes that. So I just ask, what do you think holiness has to do with challenges, stress, difficulty? Um, holiness comes as a result of keeping our eyes on Jesus. And Peter only began to fail as a result of taking his eyes off of Jesus exhaustion, not knowing what to do, discouragement happens when we begin to look away. My experience tells me that I burn out when I neglect to listen to the ways of Jesus. If I burn a candle at both ends, I can't possibly sustain that. If I'm doing things that I know God speaks against and has a better way to, um, to live into, and I ignore that, I can't blame, I can't blame God for that. Uh, holiness says I need to look to Jesus, and when he says take Sabbath, when he says find your rest in me, and I don't do that, I can't blame God. I can't blame my Christian faith for that, because that's ways that I'm not living into holiness. And so holiness, again, is this idea of living into the ways of Jesus, keeping our eyes focused, laser focused on Jesus, and then experiencing that life because we're being obedient to focusing on him and not the ways of the culture and the ways of the world. So I would say try it. Um, again, that G.K. Chesterton's quote is this Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting has been found difficult and left untried. We need to try it. We need to step into it and begin to see that when we try it, it's difficult, but yes, it's a good way of life. The reason we have Sabbath, the reason that we have a weekend in our work calendar and even in a secular culture is because of the original teaching that God 
in, um, uh, in encouraged his people and commanded his people to live into uh, was, was Sabbath. The reason we have that in our culture is because of Christian ideals. If I don't live into those things, I don't get to experience the fullness, the goodness that is the life in Christ. Verse 24, it says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word, the God that's bringing, that God is bringing to us brings life, but we have to keep our eyes fixed on him in order to experience that. Life is so temporary is what he's saying. Let's take advantage of the time that we have and begin to really pursue what ultimately matters the most, our relationship with the Father, our relationship with God. Holiness is always going to be connected to human flourishing. What do I mean by that? In verse 22, it says, Now that you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And so this holiness is always going to be connected to human flourishing, that Holiness is being set apart for the purpose of experiencing life to the full. Whether it's Sabbath, whether it's how we treat one another. What Peter reminds them is that we need to love, we need to live into this holiness because it's not just to be set apart to do something difficult and challenging. It's meant to be set apart because it's something good. It's the way that we're created to live. And because when we keep our eyes fixed on Him and we live into this holiness, as a result, people experience love. You will experience love in your own life, this contentment, the sense that you can be at peace in the midst of a storm, in the midst of chaos, and understand that this holiness process is a, is a refining and it's meant to transform life. It's meant to transform life for us and others. So it's always gonna result in human flourishing. And let's close with this idea that we need to redefine holiness. Holiness is not about improving ourselves and becoming, um, I don't know, just some the result of some kind of self-help book, um, but it's more about being wrapped up in who Jesus is, worshiping him because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's created us. He knows what's best, but then it's ultimately gonna transform the world that we live in by the way that we treat one another. The goal of Peter and his relationship with Jesus wasn't to walk on water. It was to be like his teacher. It was to be like Jesus. And that's my prayer is that I would continually grow to be like Jesus and that we as a community, as Grace and Peace Church, would grow to be more like Jesus and not because it's some kind of task that we have to follow and some kind of miracle that we want to live into. It's because we ultimately know that he knows what's best. That it's not meant to be a checklist, that it's meant to be a relationship with the one who created us and knows how to live life the best possible way. So grace and peace to you as you live into this and as you go into the rest of this week. Be encouraged and hopeful. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to reach out to us. There's a digital connect card. There's a link in the show notes and in the description. And uh, it's on our website on the front page. 
connect card, you can just drop in a prayer request. If you're saying, hey, I wanna live into this. I wanna give my life to the Lord. I wanna continue to journey in this. I need strength. I need prayer for something. Just put your name in there, drop it in. It sends an email and our staff will be praying for you. So grace and peace to you. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.